Many Christians struggle continuing to live in bondage because they are mixing together two totally different covenants, the Old Covenant of Law and the New Covenant of Grace. Coming up on Daily in Christ, the bondage of law versus the holy freedom of grace. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos, and uh, would you believe this is episode number 48? This is actually lesson number 48 in our ongoing series, Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant. Now we're going to have this one, 48, and then two more lessons, uh, and that'll wrap up the series. And in a few moments, I'll let you know where we're headed to next. All throughout the book of Hebrews, we see a striking contrast, an infinite difference between the old covenant of law and the new covenant of grace. Last time, we saw the difference portrayed in Hebrews chapter 12 between two mountains. Mount Sinai, remember that's in the Arabian desert, and that's where Moses and Israel met with God, and God gave them the Ten Commandments, and a whole lot more, not just ten. There was a total of 614 commandments and regulations in the covenant of law, or what is also known as the Mosaic Covenant. There's an infinite difference between that and the new covenant of grace. And the new covenant of grace is portrayed in Hebrews chapter 12 as Mount Zion. So you have Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Now, there is a lot that we're going to be getting into today in our broadcast about the difference between the bondage of law versus the holy freedom of grace. But there is a lot more that I could say about this biblical fact that those who are in Christ are not under law, but under grace. We're going to get into some of that today, but our next series, once we finish this Hebrew series, which will be uh, today, and then the next lesson will be uh, wrapping up through Hebrews chapter 13, and then number 50. I like that. Hebrews 50 is the number for Jubilee in the Bible. I didn't plan it this way, but it ended up this way. 50 will sort of be a summation of all that we learned through the book of Hebrews. The next series that's coming up is titled, You Are Not Under Law Because You Are Under Grace powerful teaching. This is something that Christians rarely hear anything about. There's a lot of controversy around this subject, not only today, but there has been all the way back to Bible times. But today we're going to be looking at one of those striking contrasts between law and grace that we find in the new covenant, the difference between the old covenant versus the new covenant. And this striking contrast is found in the epistle to the Galatians. And uh, today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Now remember, the book of Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians, was written to deal with Christians who were caught up in this mixture, this toxic mixture between law and grace. I want you to understand something. I'm not trying to be controversial when I say this. I want to be biblical. The Christian has nothing at all to do with the law. 
We are absolutely not, those in Christ are absolutely not under law. We're under something infinitely better, the new covenant of grace. Well, let's read in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, and listen to yet a different contrast between these two covenants. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, humble prayer. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you, Lord, that you alone deserve the glory. You alone are good, and there is no other. Father, we do not rely upon our human ability our human perception to understand your word. But we rely upon you. We rely upon the Holy Spirit whom you have freely given to us to bring illumination to these things. Grant unto us, Father, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the context and realm of knowing you deeper, better, and higher. And Lord, specifically today, help us to get a deeper insight through the word and by your spirit into the great difference between the bondage of law and the holy freedom of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Galatians chapter 4, let's begin in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free And again, that's Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Now, you know why, having been in Hebrews chapter 12, I've ended up in this lesson in Galatians chapter 4. There's even a tie to those two mountains, specifically uh, Mount Sinai and law and bondage. In verse 21, when this thing starts off, it says this, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Now, the point being made in this passage is to Christians who somehow believe that they are still under law. Listen to this verse in the Amplified Version. Tell me, you who are bent on being under the law, will you listen to what the law really says? 
Now, I've heard people teach about Galatians and specifically passages like these in Galatians, and they go on about the so-called Judaizers. And then they say, well, the fundamental issue or controversy that the Apostle Paul was confronting in the Galatian church was that they had moved from the notion that we are saved and justified by grace and grace alone, and they had mixed in Judaic or Jewish notions of circumcision and law and regulation and ceremony. Now, on a certain very superficial level, that might be the case, but there is something far more direct and deadly that was going on. Something that Paul wasn't just simply in the Holy Spirit here through Paul, wasn't just simply saying, hey, you're getting your gospel wrong. And because of that, people are not going to get saved, come into the Christian life. That's true. But the Galatians were already in the Christian life. The The lie that they had bought fundamentally from Satan was the concept and idea that they could operate under grace, but also operate under law. Look at what it says in just the verses a little bit prior to where we are in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, and we're going to go through Galatians 3, verse 3. It says this, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I want to pause right there because righteousness in God's eyes is not just right standing. It is also right living. It is both right standing before God and right living moment by moment every day. So when it says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, that speaks not only of righteousness that brings us into the Christian life, Christ's righteousness, and all uh, that the new life brings in Christ, but it also speaks to the righteous living. For if righteousness in all those dimensions comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. That's Galatians 2.21. Now he comes into Galatians 3. Listen to this. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now, the apostle Paul here, the spirit through him is hot is you can just hear the frustration. In fact, uh, verse 1 there, where it says, O foolish Galatians, in the Greek, the original language of this epistle, it, it literally means, O stupid Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Wow. Why is Paul using such strong words? Listen, verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, that's the beginning of the Christian life, right? When we receive the Spirit and we're born again. But look at verse 3. Listen carefully. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, 
are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Do you hear it? You see, the fundamental problem with the Galatian church wasn't that there was this tendency to mix in in the understanding of justification. I mean, this was part of it, law and grace. But frankly, they believed that, um, yeah, they began the Christian life by the Spirit, but by faith and not by the works of the law. But then they had bought the lie that, well, to live the Christian life, yes, we have to have the law along with grace. Uh, we have to do some things. We uh, the Striving of the flesh. That's where he says, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? That was the fundamental controversy that the Holy Spirit was confronting through the Apostle Paul in the Galatian church, right there in verse Galatians 3, 2, and 3. They had bought the notion that even though they came into the Christian life by the Spirit through faith, that when it came to living the Christian life, well, that's different. It is struggle and strive and try. In other words, being made perfect by the flesh. Now, I want to say something as we get into Galatians chapter 4 that's very straightforward and point blank. And that is this. What we will learn here in Galatians chapter 4, 21 through 31, is the result of being under law. It doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a non-Christian or a Christian. It doesn't matter if it's a Jew or a Gentile. The result of being under law is bondage. Let me say that again. The result of being under law is bondage. Meanwhile, the result of being under grace is freedom. What a difference. There is a huge difference between living in bondage versus living in the reality of the holy freedom of God. Now, as we go forward in Galatians chapter 4, Uh, Verse 22, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman. Remember, Hagar was the handmaiden of uh, the slave of um, Sarah. And the other child was, and that particular one, it says there in verse 23, that child, who was Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. And then there was one who was born of the free woman, Sarah, who was born according and through the promise. There was the one child who was born a slave by a bondwoman, a slave woman, and born therefore into a slave in a family of slaves. That's verse 22. Meantime, in verse 23, speaking of uh, Isaac, he was, um, I'm sorry, just back on the, the, uh, Ishmael and Hagar and the child born uh, as a slave. It also says that, verse 23, born according to the flesh. So Hagar, the bondwoman, gave birth to slaves and Hagar gave birth to children who were born according to the flesh. And that refers to the natural, not the supernatural, only what mere humans can accomplish without God. And then in verse 23, it points out that um, 
that particular woman and her slave children born according to the flesh represent Mount Sinai. You see it right there in verse 23. It's uh, they're symbolic things. Verse 24 says, which things are symbolic for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai law, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. And there we see that you have in Mount Sinai, Hagar, the law, giving birth as a bondwoman, as a slave woman to children in bondage, slave children. And then here's something that's so striking. Look at verse 24. It says, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. Do you see that? The slave woman gives birth to bondage. Now, let's not forget about what this slave woman represents in the discussion of law versus grace, the old covenant versus the new covenant. What is the old covenant? What is the covenant of law? It is Mount Sinai. It is Hagar. It is the mother who gives birth as a slave woman to children in bondage. And then do you notice verse 29, that this particular uh, child born of the slave woman persecuted, but look at this, but as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who is born according to the spirit, even so it is now. So we see this persecution that's happening from the clan of the bondwoman, those born under law, those born of the natural way through the flesh versus those born of the promise of God by the Spirit in freedom. Now let's take a look at this free son, Isaac. And you'll remember the accounts back in Genesis that uh, Sarah was unable to bear a child. She was barren. And as she and Abraham got older and older, eventually it was Sarah, foolishly, who suggested to Abraham that if you want to ever get a child, you're not going to get it by me. You're going to have to go into your slave woman, Hagar. And the rest is infamous history. But in time, the miracle child, the child born of the Spirit, born of the promise, born according to grace. Uh, Verse 22, Isaac was born of the free woman. We see also in verse 23 that this free son was born through the promise. Whose promise? Was it Abraham's promise to do good things for God? No. Was it Sarah's promise to do good things for God? No. It was God's promise to Abraham to do good things for Abraham, to bless him, to give him descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or as the sands along the seashore to give him a land. God made promises to Abraham. He made a promise that he would give him a son. And that son would be not through the slave woman, Hagar, but through the free woman, Sarah. Isaac, the child of of promise, the, the free child was born through the promise. 
And we learn in greater depth in Romans chapter 4 that that promise that God made to Abraham was granted through faith. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, it says it is a faith that it might be according to grace. Let me say that again. Romans chapter 4, it goes into much greater depth of this whole business of God with Abraham and the child of promise came there. God made the promise. Abraham believed that God was able to do what he had promised. That's right there toward the end of Romans chapter four. And we find out that the whole reason that it is by faith, Abraham had faith that God was able to fulfill his promise In Romans chapter 4, verse 16, the reason for faith is that it might be according to grace. That's key. It is a faith that it might be according to grace. And what is grace? Grace is from the Father's heart of love in totally loving you and totally accepting you, and totally blessing you, not because you are so good and earned it, but because God is that good and gives it. That's grace, and that's at the foundation. In fact, really the foundation is God himself, his goodness, his righteousness, his heart of love. Grace proceeds from God himself, who is good, who is holy, who is righteous, who is loving. And grace is all the dimensions of that love in totally loving us, totally accepting us, and totally blessing us, not because we are so good and earned it, but because he is that good and gives it. That child, the free son, born of Sarah, was born through grace. He was born through the promise, by faith, according to grace, putting all the dots together. The child of the free woman was born of the Spirit. That's supernatural. That's God's ability. It is not based upon human ability. And if you will remember, please, when Isaac was born, Abraham was a hundred years old. And Sarah, she had been barren all of her life. She was 90 years old. It was impossible for Abraham and Sarah to ever conceive a child. But God did it through by means of himself, by the Spirit. And we do see that as the two children grew up together, the the free child and the bond child, Uh, that the uh, bond child, the child of the flesh, persecuted the uh, child of the free woman. And again, we see in Galatians chapter 4, getting back into Galatians chapter 4, verse 24, it says, which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Now, that's important to understand. Sinai Law only produces bondage. Now, I know that sounds controversial, but these are not my words. This is the word of God. We have to repent from what we've thought about these things, or maybe even been taught about these things, 
and align our thinking with the truth of God, even if we don't understand it. And remember, I'm going to get into much greater depth in my next series called You Are Not Under Law Because You Are Under Grace. So right now, we're only going to be giving this thing a light treatment, but there's enough here to begin to to see that this is an idea, a concept from the Bible, that law, the covenant of law, is a covenant of bondage. It gives birth to bondage. It bears children who are in bondage. This corresponds to Mount Sinai, the law. Listen, the law does not bring people into freedom. The law brings people into bondage. You say, whoa, hold on a second, Mark. What are you saying? No, what is the word of God saying? You see, we've got the purpose of the law completely wrong. The law is intended to bring the sin nature of a sinner out of hiding and make that sin, the sin nature of a sinner, manifest, not to God, but to the prideful, self-righteous sinner. And we see all of this explained in Romans chapter 7, one of the most misunderstood chapters in all of the Bible. I hear Christians all the time, and frankly, I did this for a while, who take this chapter out of context of the victory of Romans chapter 6 and the victory of Romans chapter 5 and the victory of Romans chapter 8. And then they use the struggle verses 14 to the end of Romans 7 as a as sort of a proof text that Christians will struggle with sin to the day they die. That is not true. That's unbiblical. That's taking a text out of context. Romans chapter 7 Verse 13 says something very powerful about the role, the holy, good place of law. And um, in the Amplified Version, we really see this quite clearly. Uh, It's speaking on the law and its relation to sin and the sinner's sin nature. Now listen to Romans chapter 7, verse 13, Amplified. Did that which is good, now speaking of the law, then prove fatal, bringing death to me? Certainly not. It was sin working death in me by using this good thing as a weapon in order that through the commandment, sin might be shown up clearly to be sin, that the extreme malignity and immeasurable sinfulness of sin might plainly appear. Let me read that last part of Romans 7, verse 13 in the Amplified again. That the extreme malignity and immeasurable sinfulness of sin might plainly appear. And you go on in Romans chapter 7 and you see that a person wants to do good, but they don't want to do good. In fact, the thing they don't want to do, they end up doing and, and it's a big mess. It's like a train wreck happening. Why would God do that? Why would God do that in the life of a sinner? The reason is simple. It's similar to a person who has a tumor in their brain, but they don't know they have a tumor. All they have is headaches all the time. And their spouse, their wife keeps saying, you need to go to the doctor and get it checked out. And he says, no, I'm fine. It's just a headache. I got to take, you know, I got to take aspirin. But the headache doesn't go away. In fact, it gets worse. So finally, the guy goes to the doctor 
The doctor listens to what he has to say, and he says, I need to order some tests just to check to make sure everything's okay. He orders a bunch of scans, and then the doctor calls the patient back into an appointment and says, sit down. I don't have an easy way of saying this. Look at these scans right here. You have a tumor. We have got to get this thing out of your brain. Now, were those scans bad? No. What did they show? Something bad is in that person's brain. That's what the law does. The law in the life of the sinner exposes the sin nature and the desperate need of the Savior. Why would we go to people and say you need to be saved when they have no idea that they are in peril? The law comes in and what happens is a self-righteous sinner who's ungodly, as it says in Romans one eighteen and unrighteous and is prideful and thinks he's better than God or she's better than God, what happens is the law is good, comes into the nature of the sinner, and all of a sudden they want to do good, and boom, the sin nature comes right out. It's uh, similar. I've heard a, a similar illustration of a uh, of a viper, a snake, and uh, let's say that that snake is asleep and sort of sunning him itself in in the sun on a rock. And if you were to take a water balloon filled with warm water and put it up against that viper, that viper would instantly awake and leap out and bite that that water balloon. Was the water balloon bad? No, what the water balloon did was provoke the real nature of the viper out. That is exactly what the law will do in the life of this sinner. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. And of course, over in Romans chapter 7, where it plays out in a very dramatic fashion, the, the, uh, the relation between the sinner, sin, and the law, and how the law provokes that sin nature out of hiding, um, he He says this, verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, captivity, captivity. Do you remember what it said over there in Galatians chapter four, that the law gives birth to bondage? That's captivity bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The sinner is brought to the extremity where they realize how hopeless their situation is. They could never be good. They could never be righteous. They could never be good enough. And so instead of their efforts and trying and striving and struggling to be good enough, what happens is, bang, out comes this sin nature out of hiding, this hideous, selfish, lustful sin nature. And it causes that uh, 
person, that sinner who's had their eyes so opened up to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, when you stop saying how will I be delivered, which infers that there's something that you could do to get yourself out of it, you realize you're really in a pickle, you're really in bondage, you're really stuck and you can't get out. You need to be rescued by somebody else when you stop saying how to and you say who will deliver me from this body of death. Romans 7 verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that is where the sinner turns to the Savior, the one who does the rescuing. I need to keep moving back to Galatians chapter 4 verse 24, which things are symbolic for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai law, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the Jerusalem which now is, and that's speaking of the physical Jerusalem in Israel, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, that is a quotation there from the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. Now, Isaiah 54 is one of the best Old Testament chapters on the New Covenant, which is, of course, Isaiah 54. And um, remember that we can see even in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, some foreshadowing of the New Covenant that would come, of the Messiah, the Savior, who would come. Now, it's interesting to note And we don't have time to get into Isaiah chapter 54. The whole chapter is awesome. It it is a fantastic new covenant chapter. But Isaiah 54 follows Isaiah 53. And what is Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53 foretells of Christ's suffering and sacrifice that makes the new covenant possible. You see, when we understand the suffering and sacrifice of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, now we are in the place to understand the infinite superiority of the new covenant. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. We got into depth looking at the perfection of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfection as a son and a perfect high priest, the perfection of his obedient life, always obeying the Father from the heart, and uh, the suffering, perfect suffering that he had, the perfect blood, perfect body, perfect sacrifice, perfect death, and a perfect resurrection and perfect reigning at the right hand of God the Father. You see, In Isaiah chapter 53, with that foretelling of Christ's suffering and sacrifice, and then Isaiah 54, the new covenant, these are ideas uh, about grace. The ideas of grace and the new covenant are not foreign even to the Old Testament. They are there as well, but they are frequently seen in types and shadows. What is sort of veiled, as it were, in the Old Testament, Testament is clear 
in the New Testament, the New Covenant of Grace. Now, back to Galatians chapter 4, it speaks about the earthly Jerusalem, which is in bondage, giving birth to children in bondage, and that Jerusalem, which is above. In our last episode of Daily in Christ, and the last lesson that we had in our study of Hebrews, we got into the new Jerusalem a little bit more. I won't repeat that. But Jerusalem, uh, if we look at Revelation 21, verse 3, it says this, Speaking of this heavenly Jerusalem, behold, the tabernacle of God is with man. Now, a tabernacle is a dwelling place. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. That's Revelation 21, verse 3. Jerusalem is the dwelling place of God. And his people. Folks, this is family talk right here. It's the scripture saying that we are at home with God and his people, his family, because of everything that was brought to us through the new covenant fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Jerusalem, which is from above, is free. There's a Jerusalem which is below in bondage. The Jerusalem, which is above, is free. There is the mountain, Sinai, which is the mountain of law and bondage. And then there's Mount Zion, the mountain of grace and freedom. There is two women. There is the bondwoman who gives birth to slaves, to bond children. That is Hagar, representing Mount Sinai, representing the law. And then there is the free woman, Sarah, who represents the new covenant of grace, giving birth to children of freedom. And that one, it says, is the mother of us all. In this family of holy freedom, in this family of God's grace, supernatural ability, and love. Look at verse 28, Galatians 4, verse 28. Now, We, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Do you notice it says now? And remember what I was talking about at the beginning of this lesson, setting up this uh, discourse here in Galatians. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, was confronting the Galatian church because they were mixing law and grace, which you should never do. They were mixing the covenant of works with the covenant of grace. Big no-no. That is something which brings people into bondage. That's why so many Christians are living defeated lives in bondage. That is because they're mixing these two covenants together. And that's why the Holy Spirit here in verse 28 says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. If you are in Christ because of the grace of God, because you, child of God, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father, and you are born again, you are in Christ because God the Father put you in Christ. And this is, verse 28, is applicable to you. Now we, brethren, as Isaac are, was, are children of 
promise. This is similar to what we read last time in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, that says, but you have come. Those in Christ are in this reality now. We are in the benefits of the new covenant. We are out of all the bondage and all the condemnation and all the death of the covenant of law. We are in this reality to the glory of God right now. We are God's children. We are not children of the devil. We are not children of the bondwoman. We are not given a destiny of bondage. Our destiny as free children is freedom, holy freedom. Freedom from the power of sin, freedom to be able to enjoy God, freedom to walk by faith in the miracle of God's grace. It is all based on grace because we are children of promise. And that is based on God's love, grace, and faith, faithfulness. Now, verse 30, it says this. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. That's uh, in uh, a quotation from Genesis chapter 21, verse 10. That actually happened. Sarah, the free woman, ended up casting out Hagar and her bond child because all it was was creating friction and persecution. Sarah had to take drastic action with the bondwoman and the bond child. She had to get rid of them, cast them out. Christian, you are not to have anything to do with law. Yeah, you heard me right. Christian, you are not, you are to have nothing to do with the law. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, we are not under law, and that's an absolute negation in the original Greek. You are absolutely not under law. Why? Because you are under grace. And that's why sin no longer has dominion over us. We hear people say, oh, don't teach this, Mark. They say this to me because that'll just give people a license to sin. Well, folks, people are sinning without a license. If we mix law with grace, sinning goes up. It doesn't go down. Sin has dominion where a person is under law. But the believer, the one in Christ, by the grace of God, is not under law, but under grace. I know some might be saying, wait a minute, Mark, isn't this antinomianism? Isn't this lawlessness? No, this is biblical Christianity. Remember, those in Christ are under the infinitely superior new covenant of grace. Listen to this in Romans chapter 8, verse 4. It says this, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's Romans 8, 4. What the law requires is indeed fulfilled in us by walking by the Spirit and not walking by flesh. That's what Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 14 are all about. Walking by the Spirit is walking by faith 
and it's a faith that it might be according to grace. It's walking in dependence upon God, God's ability, walking by the Spirit, not walking by the flesh. It does not lead to people sinning. It sets them free from the bondage to sin. It sets them free to live godly. It sets them free to live righteous. It sets them free to see the manifestation of the fruit, one fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. Galatians chapter 5, next chapter of Galatians. Verse 21 says this, I'm sorry, 22. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Can you imagine a life that is full of love, full of joy, full of peace, full of long-suffering, full of kindness, full of goodness, full of faithfulness, full of gentleness, full of self-control, Dear friends, this is what the new covenant brings. This is what those who, this is the destiny of those who are born of the spirit, not of the flesh, born not of bondage, but born of freedom, holy freedom, a life that enjoys God, a life that's full of these wonderful aspects of the fruit of the spirit. As I said, I'm tempted to go into a lot more about not under law, but under grace. But that is going to be uh, saved for the series that uh, is coming up. You are not under law because you are under grace. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 31, here's the conclusion of the matter. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. Dear Christian, you are not under law. You are not in a life of struggling and striving and trying to please God. No, you are a child of freedom, a child of grace who has the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit brings forth the fruit of the Spirit, brings forth the life of Christ in holy freedom, a life that really does please God. Remember what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I love Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It's so God-centered. And friends, think about it. This way, this way of freedom that's being talked about, of holy freedom, not under the bondage of law, but in the holy freedom of grace made possible through the Lord Jesus Christ in fulfilling all and instituting the new covenant of grace for us. This leads us into the blessed life. This leads us into the holy life. This leads us into the godly and righteous lives. This leads us in finally being free of ourselves, to finally be ourselves in the way that God has designed us to be and to make a difference for the kingdom of God in this world. Let's pray. Father, again, we stand amazed 
at your love and your goodness and your righteousness and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we have not been born again into bondage and failure and the misery of law, but we have been born again into your grace, partakers of the life of Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Many times, Lord, your word runs across the grain of our normal thinking. And Father, I suspect that today's study and uh, this passage in Galatians 4 has been that for some. Father, I pray for those that might be struggling in that way. Lord, comfort them, encourage them, allow them to see this wonderful truth. And Holy Spirit, continue to bring revelation and understanding in the context of of knowing you. Lord, you are good, you are righteous, and you deserve all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.